welcome back to the Nugsy Sports Cast. I have a guy on the line that uh, I guess I'll set the scene. The year is 2012. Uh, a young, uh, bright-eyed guy straight out of sports journalism school lands at, at uh, sportsnet.ca. And I got to say, everybody there, uh, all the editors and the senior people are so kind. Uh, I have nothing but great things to say about you know, the long list of people that you've probably read their names, uh, uh, reading articles. And this gentleman uh, here is absolutely no different, gave me some great opportunities over the years, and I really appreciate him. It is uh, John Molinero. John, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem, pal. Uh, John, uh, my first question for you, I know, um, you know, as a, as a, a, a ink-stained wretch, uh, so, so to speak, uh, as a journalism type, uh, you know, it's not, you're not, we're not supposed to be you know, big fans or whatnot, but I know from uh, my personal experience with you uh, in the newsroom at Sportsnet that there's one uh, there's one time when you kind of throw that uh, out the window, and that's whenever uh, your beloved Juventus uh, is playing. Uh, my first question for you, and we'll we'll talk. We'll sort of have two questions about Juve, but one question is uh, how you how did you come to love uh, love them? Is it sort of hereditary, or, or what's the deal? Yeah, it was because of my dad, essentially. Um, so when I first sort of discovered soccer, I was a young kid. I was only about five or six. And um, I can just remember sitting at the breakfast table one Sunday morning and then hearing my dad down in the basement kind of shouting and screaming. And I was, you know, kind of curious as to what was going on. And so I kind of stumbled down to the basement and, uh, you know, he was watching soccer. And I said, well, what are you doing, Dad? He's all I'm watching soccer. And I'm like, oh, who are those guys in the red or in the uh, black and white stripes and that's Juventus and that's basically how it started and you know my dad was from southern Italy in Calabria which is sort of the southernmost part of Italy um, but Juventus has fans all over sort of Italy it's also it's both the most popular and most hated team in all of Italy yeah. but a lot of their fans obviously they're you know Turin based but a lot they have a lot of fans in southern Italy and growing up he was always a, uh, a Juventus fan so uh, it just sort of kind of uh, you know snowballed from that. Every every one of my family is Juventus fan is, is a Juve fan. I think it just uh, you know just comes from the fact that that's who my dad supported when he was a kid growing up in Italy. Yeah, very cool. And obviously, you know, one of the mega teams in the whole world too. Uh, obviously, the game is so global, and um, you go to you go to college uh, in Bathurst or whatever down there along there. Go west. I'm sure you'll see lots of Juve jerseys in Toronto too. It's all over the place. So. Uh, you know, kudos to that, and, and that's a good answer. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so then we get, let, let's talk a little bit about them. Uh, obviously, Maurizio Sarri, uh, his tenure in Chelsea was something that uh, a lot of people criticized heavily for, and maybe he didn't have the players he wanted. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into Chelsea too much, but uh, is he the answer to, to corral uh, the Ronaldo era in Juventus to bring them Champions League glory? What's your take? I could be. I mean, uh, you know, I... I... I'm sort of sort of reserving judgment. I mean, I think he's a very good coach, and I think you know he before he going to Chelsea, he coached Napoli, and Napoli, you know, were the second best team in Italy essentially the last you know four or five years. And but for the fact that you know Juventus was or the kingpins of Serie A, um, he would have led Napoli to you know uh, Italian league championships. Um, it just so happens that Juventus is just you know they're just so un- untoppable. So I think he's um, he's an interesting manager, has an interesting style, uh, you know, preaches sort of a high defensive line and a pressing game, and so it's a very athletic sort of uh, type of uh, game that he uh, 
he preaches. So I'll be interested to see how those tactics go over well with Juventus. And, you know, it, it might be, I, I think Juventus, uh, you know, could be in for needing some, some, some tactical tweeting, um, you know, just sort of tweaking their, how they sort of play the game and their tactical lineup. So this potentially could be a good thing for them. It could sort of revive them a little bit and sort of get them over the top in terms of Champions League glory. So I'll be watching with great uh, interest and fascination as to how he implements his tactical vision on, on the club going forward. Yeah, your point about him at Napoli is so, is so poignant because you think about perception of that Napoli team. Boy, were they were they fun. Uh, Hamshik in the midfield and Insigne and Mertens were so so fun to watch uh, up top. They still still are still still a tremendous yeah. roster, obviously. But um, the perception of Sarri was that it was going to be a great time to watch him manage Chelsea, and it's it kind of didn't work out that way. But you know, obviously things change so quickly in the world of soccer, as you know better than uh, better than me. But uh, as as we move on here, uh, you know, um, you know, one team that I know, uh, you know, you, you did a great job of being so professional, and, and you know, I probably aren't what I would say, quote unquote, a fan of um, is uh, is Toronto FC, and um, you know, you, you covered them for so many years, and, and I was. Just a quick preamble, if, if that's all right with you. I, I was listening to uh, the KJ and, and Caldwell podcast, as I do uh, often. I think it's tremendous. I uh, really enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you know, those guys are uh, are so fair, I think, and, and so frank with, with how they analyze TFC. Uh, you know, obviously, they keep that good relationship. Uh, you know, you had so many years covering the team that was... Uh, you know, pretty dour. Obviously, uh, doesn't take a long read of Josh Cloak's fine book on TFC's history to do that, or just to watch, as I did since the very beginning. But uh, you know, I'd just like to ask you. Uh, I guess uh, you know, what was it like for you to sort of balance, you know, your journalistic integrity, you know, sort of being frank, speaking the truth, but also maintaining, you know, good relationship with the string of different managers and and players that you know, quite frank, probably not in good moods all the time. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't terribly difficult because I think, um, you know, I think people, I think players, coaches, managers, whatever the case may be, I think they appreciate and expect that journalists have a job to do and that, you know, at times they have to be critical and then they're they're accepting of that. Um, so long as you, you do it in a fair-minded and uh, level-headed way. And that's what I always did. I mean, I never sort of took cheap shots or, or you know, sort of insulted people. Um, I, th- I like to think I offered critical and nuanced uh, analysis. Um, never played up anything that was small into a bigger thing. Never sort of downplayed stuff either. Um, I just sort of, you know, was very, I think, fair and straight-minded in my reporting. And I think people appreciated that. Now, you have to appreciate that during the, you know, the early years, that I mean, this was a, you know, a horrifically run club. Yeah, <laughs> and they kidding. were product on the bad was really bad and I wrote critical things and, and did it I thought in a fair-minded way and it still rubbed people the wrong way um, sure. both players and club but you know it never whenever I got a reaction like that I mean it never sort of I never thought to change the way I did things and if that meant you know uh, it affected the access I had then so be it I mean I wasn't going to that was a compromise that I was willing to make. So I, I did, you know, when I did sort of receive negative feedback from the club, which wasn't often, but um, you know, a fair bit, and a lot of it was pretty pointed. And in, and in some cases, you know, one manager sort of pulling me aside and yelling at me for <laughs> five minutes, 
Um, I never, you know, I sort of accepted what it was, but I never sort of took it as, well, I better sort of like fall in line. Otherwise, um, you know, they're not going to cooperate with me anymore. I just did what I had to do. And if that meant, you know, that the access that I had was to be effective, then so be it. I mean, I wasn't going to sort of change the way I did things. And that's kind of how I've always operated. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't can agree with that from sort of watching and, and reading, of course, uh, was was must read and it will continue to be must read whenever whatever you do, uh, of course, moving forward uh, for me personally. Um, is, is there anybody I, I'm always curious, uh, you know, it's easy to, to ask or to talk about uh, who was the grumpiest or da, 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 that kind of thing, talk about the negative. But I, I was kind of thinking and wondering, you know, during those years, if is there anybody that stood out even through hard times that were really positive and always so friendly? Uh, obviously, I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are friendly, but is there anybody that stuck out as specifically positive and upbeat, uh, even even during hard times? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, quite a few. I mean, I, I mean, Terry Dunfield, who, you know, wasn't there from the beginning, but came towards sort of like the end of like the, the rough years. Um, it's always pretty sort of cool to deal with, always had a smile on his face, never took himself too seriously, was obviously, you know, upset and disappointed with how the club was um, you know, not performing on the pitch, but, um, you know, it was always a sort of a pleasure to deal with. So, I mean, I always liked him. Um, um, yeah. So for me, he would be, I, I think he'd be the one, I mean, there were several others, but he was the one and the Canadian guy. Um, I guess this just the one who stood out as always sort of having like a, you know, a smile on his face and, and was never sort of, um, you know, grumpy to deal with and never had a bad experience with Terry. Yeah, for sure, and uh, I couldn't agree more. It's no no surprise to me. I'm sure it's no surprise to you that uh, he's getting some pretty good opportunities to to broadcast with the CPL and with TFC and and the, the podcast with Gareth Wheeler. Um, of course, the Come On You Reds. Uh, you know, it, it's the KJ pod, podcast and that podcast are just so strikingly different. Uh, but obviously, they're for different purposes. So uh, you got to understand that, uh, of course. Uh, do, do you listen to either of those podcasts? You know what? I'm not a big podcast guy to be sure. Oh, honest. fair enough. I don't, I don't listen to any. Um, I, you know, I'd much rather sort of read, um, sort of analysis and opinion on the game than, sure. than sort of like listen to um, someone talk about it. It's just sort of, I don't know. I guess being a writer, I've, I've just, you know, I'm more sort of interested in the written word than the spoken word. So sure. I've, uh, I'm not gotten on the podcast train, so to speak. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, you know, let's, let's keep uh, moving forward. And again, I appreciate your time, uh, your time so much, John. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm somebody that, uh, for years and growing up, uh, even though I was a little boy in, in, uh, North of Toronto, uh, just, my brother and I would would just consistently subject ourselves to to watching the the national teams, whatever they were doing. Uh, we had to we had to watch. We had to be enthralled. And it, to be honest, it was never boring. At least, I, well, I guess sometimes it was boring. But uh, um, you know, obviously, it's quite, sort of supposed to be a new era. And and I guess we'll start with the Women's World Cup, which um, uh, you know petered out uh, against a very good Netherlands team. Let's you know, let's be let's be fair about that. I guess to start with, but. Uh, um, yeah, I gotta ask you. Uh, I'm gonna ask you the same question about the second uh, group. I'm gonna ask you too. But uh, were, were the performance, were the uh, was the disappointment at the Women's World Cup uh, more uh, disappointing in terms of result or more dis- disappointing in terms of performance for you? I think performance. Um, it was about what I expected. I thought, you know, round of 16 exit, maybe they get to the quarterfinals. So I wasn't terribly surprised by the exit. But you know, I think expectations amongst the team anyway. Um, 
was that this, you know, Christine Sinclair kind of set the bar high when she talked, um, you know, in June about, you know, I think they played a friendly at BMO Field against Mexico, and she said something to the effect of, you know, I've been waiting all my life to play with this team because, you know, that's how talented it is and how diverse it is and just such an array of, you know, different players bringing different skill sets. And um, I don't think we saw that in France. Um, you know, uh, the performances against New Zealand and Cameroon, I mean, they were wins, but I don't know that they were all that particularly impressive. I think they were really lacking something in the final third. And uh, Netherlands, you know, outplayed. And then Sweden, you know, other than the penalty shot that they garnered, I mean, I don't know that they really sort of created anything else against Sweden. So it, was, uh, it wasn't terribly unexpected from my point of view because I just thought going in that, you know, defensively it's a pretty solid team. Uh, but you know, just I think going forward and right, and the creating chances in that final third and scoring goals was going to be a problem for them, and I think that's how it you know kind of bore out in France. Yeah, I know, Kenneth. I gotta, I gotta, uh, gotta set the record straight. I meant that they they lost to Sweden, not to the they did lose to the Netherlands in the group stage. They lost to Sweden yes. in the in the round of sixteen. I so I apologize there, of course. But uh, yeah, no, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I think um, you know my take is that they had. Quality, quality, high-level players at certain positions, um, but maybe not enough positions, and, and maybe not uh, in the creative, in the in the wide areas, or maybe they didn't trust uh, certain players in, in the wide areas. Uh, the the name that sticks out to me is Adriana Leone, who kept coming off late, coming on late, and um, when she did come on, it seemed like she made an impact. But uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's just not enough, uh, not enough dynamic width players uh, in the Canadian women's game right now. Is that you? Would say that's kind of accurate, or? Is that too uh, too simple? I, I think there's I think there's some truth in that. I, I, I you know my larger issue is just you know other than Christine Sinclair, who's the, who are, who provides goals on that team? Who you know who shoots from distance? I mean, yeah, how many, exactly. You know how many times did we see Sophie Schmidt or someone else just try like a shot from outside the box? I mean, rarely. Yeah. Um, don't have. I mean, the Canadian national team. I would suggest other than Sinclair doesn't have natural finishers. Doesn't have. Um, terribly dynamic players who can kind of make things happen in and around the 18-yard box. So mm-hmm. I think going forward, that's the type of players that they, you know they should develop more. I mean, I think I said something during the World Cup is like you know the you know the, the um, you know the national team could badly use someone like Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. Um, you know that sort of player profile with that sort of like skill, that kind of dynamic attacker who you know absolutely fearless. Um, Canada could use sort of more of those types of players. And I think that's going forward. That's what they have to develop. They have to develop more sort of Megan Rapinos and more players like that who can really sort of bring something to the attack and then the final third of the pitch. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Uh, I, I really think uh, Adriana Leon could, could sort of be in that, in that mold and uh, what she's done in the, in the premier league, uh, uh, I think kind of speaks to that a little bit, sort of just from what I've seen highlights wise and stuff. But anyways, we could talk about that for a while, but we got to move on uh, to the men's side. Obviously, um, they beat up on some, you know, lesser thens again. They they sat back in a kind of really awkward type of game against Mexico in the group stage, and then uh, let's be honest, they should have hammered Haiti in the first half. They were could have had four, five, or six in the first half. It feels like against Haiti in that in that in that game. So it, 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 in my take, uh, quickly, I'll just say that uh, I don't think there's anything to panic about with the men's side. Uh, just just a tough, uh, tough result there against a very uh, spirited Haiti team. But uh, I guess what's your take? 
Well, yeah, should have beat Haiti. Um, you know, I question sort of the tactics in terms of, you know, Mexico. I, I get what John was trying to do because he wanted to rotate his squad because it was three games in three cities across the U.S. in a short period of time. But, I mean, for me, I would have rested guys against Cuba and really kind of gone for it against Mexico and, and sort of try to play a complete game. Um, you know, I think defensively there's obviously issues there because, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, fullbacks – I'm not sure that they have quality fullbacks. No. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it was good to see them score so many goals. But again, I, I you know, do we read much into whatever it was an eight nothing win against Cuba? Do we read much uh, into um, you know, you know, wins against who was it? I can't even remember Martinique. Martinique, yeah, yeah. Do we read much into if anything into that? You know, I don't think so. I mean, this was sort of the real first serious test. I would suggest of John Herdman's tenure, and I'm not sure that it turned out all that well. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, they've got to turn this around pretty quickly because you know Nations League qualifiers or games are coming up, and they have to play you know Mexico and the U.S. So this is uh, uh, it's you know going forward, uh, I think we're going to see what where this team sort of really stands in the Concacaf uh, hierarchy, and uh, you know how it competes against you know two of the region's top uh, top nations. Yeah, and, and I couldn't agree more. I think you put the Canadian starting 11 beside the American starting 11. And honestly, I think the Canadians can really give it a give it a good go. You know, obviously there's no Christian Pulisic on Canada, but uh, and obviously there's no Aaron Long. There, you know, there's <laughs> there's no, you know, Matt Miazga. There's no Omar Gonzalez even, let, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, there there's enough to definitely give the, uh, the Americans... Uh, a game, uh, you know, was, you know, you talk about John Herdman needing to sort of look in the mirror. Is there a sense uh, for you that he's kind of done that? Do you think he'll, you know, from knowing him the way that, you know, you have a little bit as, you know, media to, to, to head coach, do you think he'll be able to sort of make those adjustments, right? Those wrongs kind of, uh, you know, coming in the fall here? Uh, I think he, I, I do. It's just a matter of, I think, you know, the larger issue is, you know, in terms of defensively, like, you know, he needs certain guys healthy. And, and again, I'm not sure that he has, you know, the depth or the quality at the pullback positions to mm-hmm. to really do much about it. I mean, you know, when he has to play, you know, Alfonso Davies as a left back and Mark Anthony Kay as a left back, when you know, I think they're better as, you know, further up the field and more progressive in attacking sort of positions. Um, uh, you know, I'm just not sure that he has the horses to, 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 to do much about that. But, you mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think he'll sort of make whatever adjustments he had. I think he's self-aware to know, you know, what went wrong in, in, at the Gold Cup, and he'll and he'll you know try to rectify that. So I have no doubt that he'll he recognizes what the problem is. I'm just not sure that he has all the sort of necessary tools to to correct the situation. Yeah, for sure. But one thing I'll say, uh, you know, before we move on is. It does seem like, you know, and obviously fair enough, he does have more talent than most Canadian managers have had, but the, the strong sense that I, as somebody that I guess can only, you know, at times have been media, but mostly a fan of, you know, watching the national team is that managers just didn't really have any faith in the in the national team players, or much faith, it seemed, in the national team players, so they just set up to try to survive, and at least John Herdman sets them up to to try to go out and get, you know, get three points. So, you know, fair enough. Maybe we'll see if Richie Larea keeps, you know, continuing to progress. Uh, maybe Kamal Miller, uh, maybe that Tamori. 
uh, fellow in England will, will choose Canada. I'm not sure about that. But anyways, we'll, we'll have to see, I guess, uh, about all that stuff. And, uh, you know, definitely interested. Uh, you know, one thing I, I guess I'll ask you, too, about uh, John Herdman. Always good for a quote, at least, eh? Yeah, very good. I mean, he's, he's pretty uh, media savvy. He's pretty sort of friendly, um, yeah. you know, quite chatty and talkative when, uh, you know, I've never sort of had a bad experience uh, interviewing. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's pretty good to deal with. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, uh, definitely uh, excited uh, for the future of the, of the national team, uh, at least, uh, you know, in terms of scoring Jonathan, David, boy, oh boy, what a player looking like. Uh, anyways, um, but speaking of, uh, you know, the future, um, you know, obviously your time at, uh, at Sportsnet is done and that sucks, but I don't think it'll be long as if you want to, obviously, before you get back into the game. But, uh, you know, what's what's sort of life looking like uh, for you? Uh, what's what's kind of next? What are you kind of hoping for moving forward? Just taking some time off right now. Um, you know, I was laid off by Sportsnet on, I think, June 24th. So um i've been thinking i just might take this summer off so sort of july and august and relax and chill out because i've you know it's been a while since i've had some time off so i'm sure. just sort of uh regroup and recharge a little bit and then you know as far as what's next i mean i don't know uh, obviously i want to stay in soccer journalism and you know hopefully i'll catch on somewhere but um you know um who knows i i I really don't know what the future for you know holds for me. We'll have to wait and see. I, you know, my future would probably be a lot brighter if I was like a hockey writer or a baseball writer in this country. But you know, I'm a soccer writer, so it's um, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, opportunities out there for people like me. So uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know. I gotta disagree with you, John. I, I, you're not just a soccer writer. You're you're a guy that's uh, done a ton for the game in this country in terms of the way it's covered at a professional level and uh yeah i don't think i don't think it'll be long i know you're a humble guy too so i uh, you know I, I don't expect a different answer but maybe uh, you know maybe maybe the 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 guys the people in scarborough will give you a call who knows who knows uh, we'll see what happens uh yeah. <coughs> but they're doing a great job of putting lots of soccer on uh, tv i appreciate that eh? they are yeah i just you know i think they've done a really good job with uh, their television products it just surprises me that um you know, they don't seem to value, uh, you know, the website as much. And, you know, I thought because, you know, it's such a big property for them, they'd have a bigger sort of soccer presence on online in terms of original content. I mean, they have a lot of sort of original video, which is great. Which is great. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of I'm somewhat surprised that they don't have a greater online presence in terms of like the written word, not just for soccer, I think for all yeah. verticals, whether it's hockey or basketball or baseball or whatever. But, uh I don't know. You know, that could be something in the future for me. I mean, I, I really can't say at this time. Just not that I can't say. I just I don't know. So yeah. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Sure. Yeah. If there's any TSN people out there listening, get on that. Definitely. Give, uh, give, give him a call for sure. Yeah. He's, he's not. He's not as hard as maybe you think to, to find. So there you go. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I just want to end uh, the the podcast here with. A uh, question, uh, you know, I think in in my, you know, sort of experiences in journalism and in sports media, which, you know, are, are shorter than some and longer than others, I suppose. But, uh, you know, we're all we're all varied in our own way. But, uh, uh, you know, it's important, I think, uh, to, to recognize, you know, wow, like, you know, we're covering sports. We get to be paid to watch sports and and write about it or talk about it or or whatever. And, and I think that's really that's really kind of cool. And and I think it's important to take moments to say, you know, hey, that, that's kind of a neat moment. So uh, my question uh, for you, or, or what are what are one or two kind of moments 
covering soccer that's that have made you stop and go wow you know it's kind of neat that i'm here it's kind of neat that i'm covering this um you know there, there's probably a few i mean uh, i think you know the, the M- uh, tfc's run in 2016 um you know playoff run to the mls cup final was pretty cool just because you know as someone who covered the team since day one and went through all the hardships of writing such about a you know a crappy team for so long <laughs> To see them sort of on the cusp of, of you know, winning, um, you know, the MLS Cup in their home backyard and then, you know, losing it on a, on a, on a shootout, um, that was pretty remarkable. And the, whole, the entire run, I mean, the playoff series against, you know, Montreal yeah. in the semifinals was, was so fantastic. And then obviously the following year, um, you know, seeing them sort of make good on such, you know, I still think it's the greatest season by an MLS team ever when you think about you know, what they did during the regular season, setting the points record, mm-hmm. uh, you know, winning the Canadian Championship, winning the Supporters' Shield, and then, you know, sweeping all before them in the playoffs, on, and then going on to win MLS Cup. I mean, that was pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two were pretty cool. But, I mean, in terms of moments, you know, it's there was one very early on in my journalism career, actually. Um, the Canadian women's team was playing u.s women's team at varsity stadium and i think it was the summer of 2000 this was when evan pellery was still sort of coaching and um you know i had did i had done some sort of live in-game reporting but not much but this was kind of like the first big game that i had covered and it was you know varsity stadium at the time was decrepit and kind of falling down but they still had i think like 10,000 people there or something like that and it was a great game it was i think it ended 2-2 um, you know, these, so the U.S. or the Canada earned like a pretty good result against the top-rate Americans, and I can remember clearly when it was over, like just being exhausted because it was such a long day and it was it was a difficult game to write because you know the back and forth and nature of it. But I can remember, and again, I, I this was I started as a journalist in 1999, so this was like about a year into my uh, my career, and I just thought, wow, this is like friggin' amazing, you know, covering games like this, and that's kind of really, I mean. You know, and it was just a friendly. There was no World Cup qualifier. It wasn't, wasn't. I don't even think it was on TV. But uh, it, was, uh, it was something just, just kind of clicked. And I, I remember thinking at the time, you know, this is pretty incredible that I'm getting to do this. And there was a moment I'll live for it to this day. I mean, I still recall it. That that's kind of when the light switch went off and said, you know, it's pretty special to be doing this. So it's a moment I'll always remember. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to say that I've got a couple too. But one one is definitely. Uh, Thanks to you uh, for sure uh, for taking me uh, as media. I don't know if you remember back in 2013 to a TFC game um, yeah. as media, and I wrote a, a little column, and it was actually a positive column <laughs> in 2013 uh, during during Ryan Nelson's uh, reign, and TFC probably should have won against New England uh, Revolution that night, and uh, had a goal called back. And anyways, but that was a really neat moment. So again, I appreciate it uh, very much, John, and. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, and good luck uh, in all your endeavors. Keep in touch. No problem, Jimmy. Anytime. That has been John Molinero here on the Newsy Sportscast.